Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Friends, let me invite you to turn with me, please, in your Bibles or turn on your devices to Exodus chapter 20. And we're going to begin reading in just a moment in verse 8 of Exodus chapter 20. And as you're turning here, I invite the rest of our church family worshiping in the Family Life Center to do the same, to turn in your Bibles to Exodus 20, verse 8. Uh, And as you're finding your way there, let me tell you, it's good to be back in town. My family and I were away on on a little vacation and enjoyed some time away, but someone asked me, did you enjoy your time? And we enjoyed our time so much that I had to use my GPS to find my way back to the office. I'm just going to, I think somebody on the way in asked me to fill out a guest card, one of the, but, but we're here and I, in all seriousness, before we begin our study today that comes from Exodus 20 verse 8, I want to say something. I want to say something that comes from the deepest and most sincere part of my heart. I am so grateful for Kep Pate, Annie Sutton, and Michael McCuller, who the last three weeks have really brought it in the pulpit. Would you join me in thanking them? I mean that. Listen, you and I both, we hear a lot of preachers. And those are three who I could listen to again and again. They really had something to say, and they, they said it. And I'm grateful to them. I'm also grateful, I understand, Glenn, you were out for a Sunday or two, and Tommy Heaton stepped in and led. This church, this church is so blessed with leadership, lay leadership, ministers on the staff, who I want you to know, we have reason to give thanks to God this day for how God is blessing this congregation. And I just want to say that, standing here in worship and give thanks to God. Now, here's the downside. It's been three weeks since I've preached. I've got all this pent-up homiletical energy. We may be here, like I told the deacons, till like 2.30 today. So let's get ready. Today, I want to bring you up to speed with where we have been. We are still in our in-depth study of the book of Exodus. The first 15 chapters of the book of Exodus gave attention to getting out of Egypt, the liberation of an enslaved people. Chapter 16, 17, and 18, we saw a free people wandering in the wilderness, but they were having second thoughts about whether or not they really wanted to say yes to this life of freedom because it comes with a certain way of life, a kind of trust in the wilderness of freedom that they did not have to practice in Egyptian enslavement. And that's 16, 17, 18, and we now are in the middle of the next major section of the book of Exodus. Exodus 19 through 24 is where God establishes a covenant with God's people. And chapter 20, we find ourselves right in the middle of that major section, and we find ourselves right in the middle of the Ten Commandments. 
Today, we find ourselves studying one commandment, the very next one, commandment number four. I ask you to turn your attention to verse eight and hear these words. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son, your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. This is the reading of the sacred word. It's reliable and it can be trusted. Today, I want us to talk for just a few moments about linchpins, crammed calendars, and mandatory naps. Lynchpins, crammed calendars, and mandatory naps. Will you pray with me? And now, oh God, we give to you our full attention. We confess to you that it is easy to be bodily present and completely absent at the same time. But we pray in this moment that you would help us to do both, to truly be here to truly show up where your spirit is attempting to do something in us and among us. This time is your time, Lord. We pray that you would bless the words that proceed from my mouth so that what we hear is way more than just the words of a a singular man. Speak, O word of life, that we may be changed. In the name of Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Lynchpins. You know what a linchpin is? Yeah. It's a metal, usually steel, little piece of equipment that's used to hold things together. Maybe you have a trailer that you pull behind a truck, and the gate of that trailer, when it's up, it needs to be kept up and held in place by a linchpin. This is what a linchpin looks like up close. Uh, Sometimes a linchpin is used, well, all the time, a linchpin of some sort is used to hold an axle and a wheel together in its place. There's a picture of one. Another close-up gives you an idea what it looks like. A linchpin holds things together. Here's another shot of one in a different kind of way. The, the, The link in blue is kind of the linch there. It's holding all those opposite forces together. The linchpin is the one thing that holds everything together. I want to suggest to you today, I want to suggest for our consideration that this fourth commandment, Sabbath keeping, remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy, this fourth commandment is the linchpin of the Ten Commandments. Now, to explain what I mean, I'm going to have to give you a word or two about the anatomy of the Ten Commandments. 
In the Ten Commandments, the first three commandments, as we have already observed, and the way Kef and Annie and Michael so capably demonstrated these last three weeks, the first three commandments are devoted primarily to one thing, right relationship with God. The first three commandments, the first one, uh, you'll have no other gods before me. Don't even put anything or any person or any force or any experience on even equal playing fields with me because it cannot stand. Commandment number two, no graven images. There is no place in the world where God's image can be fathomed except one place in the heart of every human being because we are made in God's holy image. So no graven images. And commandment number three, do not take the Lord's name in vain. You are called by my name. You, you are known as followers of me. You're called by my name. So when you live in a way that's contrary to the character in which I live, you are living in vanity. You are taking it in vain. Right? So the first three commandments are devoted to helping us understand what it looks like to live in proper relationship with God. We might even say it this way. The first three commandments are about loving God. The last few commandments, we're going to skip over four for just a moment. Commandments five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten, they're all committed to one thing in common as well. Each one of them committed to the love of neighbor, to the love of people. Honor your mother and father. Do not kill. Do not uh, commit adultery, do not steal, do not lie, do not covet what belongs to your neighbors. All of those create a kind of infrastructure, a kind of scaffolding upon which we build a life of loving people, right? So the first three commandments are devoted to teaching the person of God how to love God. The last six are about how to love People, do you remember that one conversation Jesus had with a lawyer? Lawyer comes up to him and says, Jesus, I want to get this right. What's the most important commandment? And Jesus says, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But there's a second, it's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, in summary, says there's really only two important things. Love God and love people. At the end of the day, that is the whole point. That's it. Love God and love people. But where do we learn how to do that? How is that conviction, that life, that way of life forged in the life of a believer? How do we learn how to love God and how do we learn how to love people properly? It happens in the fourth commandment. It happens by keeping Sabbath. Remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy acts like a, well, a linchpin that connects the love of God and the love of people. Because if you and I come into worship, if we come into Sabbath worship, and for just a little while, if for five minutes we actually give full devotion to God, if for five minutes he actually has our attention and our affection, something happens in us. That means it, for, for a little while on Sabbath worship, we come in here and we love God and we consider those commands. We consider the reality that there is none like him. None. We consider the reality that you and I are created in God's own image, that our identity is forged in something beautiful and holy and good. 
We are in worship listening to songs and sermons and reading ancient texts that remind us that there's a way to live in this life that's vain and there's a way to live in a life that is humble and we who are called by God's name live in the way of God's character. So here's what happens. You come into Sabbath worship and if even for a little while, if for five minutes you give real attention to loving God, something happens in the heart you can't be the same. It changes you. You become more loving, more compassionate, more sensitive. You become more forgiving. You, and now you turn, and guess what? It changes how you think about your mother and father. It shapes how you think about your enemy. You no longer want to end them. It changes what you think about your fidelity and your ability to remain committed to those vows that you've made. It, it allows you to no longer need to bear false witness because there's truth in what you say. It allows you to no longer have to steal or covet what you, you see your neighbor have because you have loved God in such a way on Sabbath worship that it makes you content. It makes you free. And now because you have loved God in Sabbath worship, you are now prepared to love people the way you were created to love people. Yeah. Sabbath and remembering it, keeping it holy, the fourth commandment, is the linchpin. It's the one thing that holds everything together. It matters what we do when we get here. Now, let me take care of a little bit of housekeeping right now. A little bit of disclaimer. So I know many of you may be saying, okay, but Sean, hang on. We, we worship on Sunday, and isn't the Sabbath on Saturday? What gives? What's the deal there? Why is it that we're, we're talking about honoring the Sabbath when we don't do that? We, we do that on Sunday, and plus, even on Sunday, you're working. <laughs> True. It's really a relatively easy way to understand how we got where we are. You know, even today, even today, it's true. The Sabbath technically is Saturday. It, it's the seventh day. It literally means the Sabbath. Uh, Saturday is. Today, our Jewish neighbors, our even Christian brothers and sisters of other denominations will sometimes hold all their religious practices and rituals and, and, and worship uh, practices on Saturday. We know some people who, who do it that way. But in the earliest decades of the Christian movement, Christians were simply a part of Judaism. You, you may be aware that, uh, that we were born in another religion that already existed. And just like there were other, we're going to call them denominations or sects, different divisions, Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, Zealots, a new one came onto the scene about the fourth decade, the way, the Christian way. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changed everything. And now suddenly there is this movement of believers who follow the crucified Lord who is risen. And in their practicing of the first few decades of the Christian movement, the Christian religion, Christians did both. They practiced Sabbath because they were good Jews. And on sundown, on Friday, as soon as you see the first three stars appear in the sky, that's the indication that Sabbath begins on Friday night. And it lasts until Saturday night at sundown. And Christians in the early century began to do the very same thing. That's what they had always done. They, they keep the Sabbath holy. They remember it. But the Jesus event changed everything. 
The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus changed everything. And now these faithful Jews who were practicing Sabbath, who were following the teachings of Jesus, were so moved by the reality that he was raised to new life on Sunday, raised on the, the first day of the week, that Sunday had a special place in their heart now. It became kind of a holy day. So in addition to going to Sabbath practice and reserving and remembering the Sabbath and keeping the Sabbath laws, early Christians would do that on Saturday and they would double dip. They would come back on Sunday and they would begin to gather in homes and in communities on Sunday to sing and to praise and to pray and to read ancient texts and to tell the old stories and to, to pass on the teachings of their Lord. They were doing both for a long time. Until about the year 90, at the Council of Jamnia, there was this council where the rabbis and the early Christian leaders began to have conversation with one another as if to say, you know, are we really the same thing anymore? And by the year 90, questions were being raised. Is this really just one movement or denomination within Judaism, or is it its own thing? And it was decided at the Council of Jamnia in the year 90 AD, it's its own thing. And from that moment forward, Christians began to shift their, their practices of Sabbath-keeping and worship onto Sunday, and here we are. So if you and I are going to listen to these ancient texts and, and, and ensure that they still matter to us, remember what I've always been saying. Jesus is our interpretive lens through which we read all of Scripture, including the Old Testament. And if Jesus is the interpretive lens through which we hear these things, don't forget, Jesus is the one who said, the most important thing is love God with everything that's in you and love people, right? And if we listen, then on the Sabbath, that's where you and I are able to learn to do what he has called us to do well. And joining with the Christian Tradition that reaches back ages on Sunday mornings, we consider this a holy time. A time in which we, well, it's really a time between time. A linchpin of, of sorts in which we gather in this place to worship God and be shaped in such a way that we may love people the way we're created to love. Now, question is, so how do we do it? How do we, in the 21st century, attempt to truly remember the Sabbath and keep it holy today? Well, maybe we return to the ancient text to find out. This is what we read just a moment ago. Uh, however, it moves us into the next part of our sermon, not only linchpins, but it moves us into what I'm going to call mm, crammed calendars. Anybody have a crammed calendar? Or is it just me? All right. Oh, there are some other sinners here too then. Good. Cram calendars. Can we read the text once more? This is what it said. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. But watch. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male or female servant nor the animals nor the foreigner residing in your towns. Right? One of the observations that I make about this, the, the fourth commandment, and that particular part that we just read, is that it does affirm work. I mean, we know basically that the call to keep Sabbath is a retreat from work in some way. We're going to get to that. But it does affirm work. It says, no, look, for six days, 
punch the clock. For six days, do it. For six days, you must work and do the thing it takes to live and survive and, and make life happen. Six days, do it. But there is one day, and I love the language, that you must remember and keep it holy. What does holy mean? Holy means something that is set apart or different or unique or distinct. Well, what is it that's distinct about the seventh day or the Sabbath day? To answer the question, we got to remember the context in which this was written. You know that the original audience, the first audience hearing these words, they were former slaves. They were former slaves, and in the context in which they lived, the only way that they mattered, all of their value, their worth, their dignity, their esteem, their reason for existing, only mattered in as much as they were able to produce something for Pharaoh and the empire. They were only significant if they worked and demonstrated how they could benefit the empire. And I'm talking mind-numbing, soul-crushing, back-breaking, brick-making all day long. And if you couldn't keep up, you weren't worthy and you did not have value in the eyes of Pharaoh or the empire. And out of that context, God delivers them, right? But in the new context of their freedom, God says, I want you to work six days because you got to do this to live. But there will be one day that you carve out to create a kind of soul space. A soul space in which on that day you remember that you have value and dignity and worth and, and you are loved not because of what you produce. Not because of how hard you've worked. Not because of what you can contribute to the empire or Pharaoh. But you have value because I made you that way. And there is a day that is to be carved out in which you deliberately disengage from productivity. And in disengaging from productivity, it creates a soul space for you to stop long enough and think, you know, why am I here? Why do I, where do I find my meaning and where do I get my worth? If you don't take that time, it's easy to fall into the Egyptian illusion that your worth is only as valuable as your production and your, your activity and what you contribute to the world. This is why I, think, I love the, the word that Walter Brueggemann uses to, to describe the Sabbath where God says, no, you will cease. It's not a suggestion, but in this new context of freedom, in this new world, now that you've changed kings, now that Pharaoh is no longer your sovereign, now that he is no longer thought of as your God, and you have a new sovereign, a new king, a new God, I'm here to tell you, you need space to remember that you have worth, not because you've earned it, but because I gave it to you. I love what Walter Brueggemann says about it, though. He calls it a universal work stoppage. Because this is not just a privilege for land-owning men, like in Egypt. In Egypt, if you were a man and if you had land, if you were of a certain class, then you could deliberately disengage from your work for a while because everybody who works for you will take care of it. Not women. Uh, not your male and female children. Not your male and female slave. Not the resident alien in your land. Not the animals. No. It was only 
possible to step away from productivity and anguish and labor if you had certain, certain things to contribute. Here, in this new world that God is establishing, every last breathing, living thing has intrinsic value. That's why it's not just commanded that the leaders take off. It's commanded that everyone down the pecking order in every village, every town, every clan, every tribe, everyone, even the chickens, take a break. You know what's possible is that if you learn to keep Sabbath, if I learn to keep Sabbath, we, we get to take take God up on an invitation that God has given us. Barbara Brown Taylor said, Sabbath is God's invitation for you to be good for nothing. God created you good, right? As, as far as Genesis 1 and the first part of Genesis 2 says that God created humankind and it was very good. So here's a spoiler alert. You were created very good. Now what you did with life after you were created is kind of between you and God. But Sabbath is a day every week in which you are able to step away from whatever you did with your goodness and remember that you can still be redeemed. That you can be good not because you've done something, not because you produce or create or contribute. You can be good for nothing. I've been told for years that I'm good for nothing. And I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, you can be good for nothing. There is a way. Barbara Brown Taylor once said that it amazes her how many excuses people come up with with why they can't stop, why they can't cease labor, why they can't honor the Sabbath, why they can't go to church, why they can't take off a little while in order to renew through worship. And, and she says, you know what you ought to do? You ought to go through a, a practice where you, you take a sheet of paper and on one side of the paper, you write down all the things that give you life. All the things that restore your soul, all the life-giving things, maybe it's a walk, maybe it's a silent retreat, maybe it's time with your family, maybe it's listening to music, maybe it's worship, singing, whatever it is that puts you back together. Maybe you make a list on one side of the paper of all those life-giving things that you know recreate you. But then on the other side of the list or the other side of the paper, you ought to make a list of all the reasons why you can't do those things. And then she goes on to say something beautiful. I love it. She says, that's all there is to it. Just make the two lists and keep the piece of paper where you can see it. And also, promise not to shush your heart when it howls for the list that it wants. Your heart, beloved sisters and brothers, just like mine, howls for Sabbath. Not just for rest, but for the recreation that happens when we come to this place. Don't forget what's at stake if we don't keep the Sabbath and remember it as a holy moment, a holy step away. It means that you and I will forget that God created human beings, not human doings. See what I did there? God created you to be in relationship with God. Don't forget the subtitle of this entire series is Exodus, freed 
to be. He created a liberation process for the Israelites so that they may become something they never imagined they could become. But I'm here to tell you, you don't have to be an ancient Israelite, a former slave to Egypt, to also believe the lie that you have to produce in order to be anything. I'm here to tell you there's another way to be free. So there is a linchpin, there is a thing that holds everything together in this remembering, yes, Sabbath day and keeping it holy. And there are crammed calendars, but I got, I got to tell you, the trouble with crammed calendars is this. You and I violate the fourth commandment all the time, but in a weird way, we're kind of proud of it. I mean, we, do, we are violators of the fourth commandment, and yet, and yet, Barbara Brown Taylor says, it's, um, we, we violate the fourth commandment, but with flair. Because we're kind of proud of how busy we are. Somebody will say, are you, how you doing? You know, what's, what's going on? How you been? And, and you'll say, well, I'm, I've been okay. I'm, I'm busy. I'm pretty busy. I mean, we got, we got soccer tonight and then cheerleading later. And I got three meetings over at the church. And then there's a thing that's happening. And, you know, I'm busy. But it's good. Almost as if we're taking pride in how crammed, how crammed our schedule is. Beloved, if you don't somehow find a way to be set free from the crammed calendar of Egypt, you will never learn to experience the, the liberating joy of hearing God say, shh, you're enough. So there are linchpins in Sabbath day. There are crammed calendars like you and me. But there is some other way, and I'm going to call it mandatory naps. Mandatory naps. What do we do? How do we practice? Do you know that even today, there are Jews in certain traditions of, the, of Judaism who still practice a mandatory Sabbath nap? Doesn't that sound great? I mean, Laura told me that when she was growing up, back when Sundays used to look different than Sundays look now, just saying, her family made the kids in the family take a nap on Sundays. That served a couple of purposes, I know. Wouldn't that be great to be made to take a nap? I want to show you something I've been thinking about, and I brought you, I want, I want to, I'm just going to show you something that I brought to share with you because it's, it's my favorite T-shirt, my favorite T-shirt. When I wear this shirt out, I'm just going to turn my back on you so you can't see it yet. When I, when I wear this T-shirt out, I get all kinds of conversations started, all kinds of comments, all kinds of questions. Just kind of pop it over my microphone here. There we go. Let's see. Oh, not very flattering. Coming out. If you can't read it, it says, Jesus took naps. Be like Jesus. Amen. All right. It makes a little reference to a boat ride he took, and the storm came, and the, and the boys said, where's Jesus? And, they, and he said, well, he's sleeping. See, even in inconvenient times when you don't know what to remove from your schedule, there's still ways to find rest. Every time I wear this T-shirt out, I promise you, every time I wear it, I get the most amazing looks smiles break out on stressed out people 
Um, people ask me, where'd you get this shirt? I got on the internet. Uh, where, where, they say, I want that shirt. You can't have it. It's mine. <laughs> and you know what delights I think what delights them when they read something like this, I think it's because we want permission to practice Sabbath. We want permission to stop in the madness of trying to produce and create and demonstrate our worth and prove that I'm worthy. We want permission to slow down. It's interesting to me because this text, the fourth commandment, actually has this kind of t-shirt in mind. It gives a reason. Maybe the most provocative part of this whole verse is that it gives a reason why the ancient Israelites are commanded. They're given the mandate to stop, to rest, to slow down. And here's the reason. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. There's a reason why we practice Sabbath, because God did. If we are called to be God's people, we behave in the way that God behaves. We practice Sabbath because God practiced Sabbath. And that text is meant to remind us of the early story of creation, right? Where after six days of creation, after six seasons of productivity and creativity and uh, production and building and making, God stopped. But God stopped so that God could deliberately disengage from productivity in order to turn and re-engage in relationship with all that God had been working for. We're called to hold out one day in order to behave like God. There's even another place in Scripture. Now, in this passage, it's very clear. Do it because God did it. End of story. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Go to church. But there is another place in Deuteronomy 31 where it gets repeated, and it gets even deeper. Listen to these words. The Israelites are to observe, observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for generations to come as a lasting covenant. It'll be a sign between me and the Israelites forever, Okay. Uh, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, right? And on the seventh day he rested, but watch this. He rested and was refreshed. God. The most amazing phrase there is he rested and was refreshed. The word that's used there in Hebrew, it comes from the word nefesh. Nefesh is a word that means soul. Uh, in, in other words, he rested and he was restored in soul. Quite literally, it means he rested and he was resold. We're not talking about Moses. We're not talking about any of the leaders of Israelites. We're talking about the Lord our God. That on the seventh day, God rested and was resold. In the soul, God remembered what it was that God had done all this for in the first place. And who are we if God must stop and be resold on Sabbath? Who are we to believe that we don't need what God needed? You can be resold. Is there any part of your soul that is longing, hungry, thirsty to be recreated, put back together? It happens when we observe the Sabbath and keep it holy, there is a way. 
So what do we do? The last thing I want to share with you today is this. I want to give you a tip to equip. (laughs) If you are ready to re-engage the practice of remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy, I want to give you three tips you can do right now that will change everything. The first is a quote from one of my favorite writers, Dallas Willard. He says, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. We have crammed calendars and and we are living servile lives to that calendar, which is like Pharaoh over us. Unless we ruthlessly eliminate something from it. I got to tell you, one day a few months back when I was in the thick of finishing up my doctorate and, and I had so many tasks not just academic tasks, but we were in the middle of our, our worship planning and our worship study group and preparing for the new worship service. And we had a thousand things going on. I had a thousand papers, it felt like, due that week at the seminary. And, and so I came back to church one evening to do some extra work. I was going to need some coffee, so I bought some coffee on the way in, stopped over at Bucks and grabbed the cup of coffee. I had my backpack on or my briefcase and a stack of books from which I would be writing papers. And I'm literally literally running up the stairs the back hallway to my study because i gotta hurry and get to my seat so i can work on it because i only have a few hours and as i'm walking up running hurrying speedily away arms filled uh, i trip and it goes everywhere i mean books go flying the cracked spines are broken papers flying coffee all over me it's a wreck it's a mess nobody's there to see it thank the lord Um, But I'm here to tell you, I sat there for a minute just to take my breath and say, this is crazy. I have to ruthlessly eliminate something. So one of the tips to get you prepared to truly learn to respect Sabbath and to keep it holy, this rhythm of rest in your life is ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And it's not going to be easy. The word ruthlessly means painfully. Take something out. I don't mean with like a surgical tool. I mean a meat axe. The second thing I recommend is this, not only ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life, and you're going to say to yourself, okay, this is, of course, that's something the pastor is going to say, of course, we expect that we don't, here it is, come to church every single Sunday. I'll say it again, come to church every single Sunday. All right, I'll say it again, come to church every single Sunday. All right. And you say to yourself, it's a little unrealistic, Sean, because you don't know my rhythm, my work schedule. I respect work schedules that take people away. I get it. I respect it. However, if on the whole, we plan to only come once a month, something's going to happen on that once a month. It's the cumulative effect of deciding to come every Sunday. And if something happens, God understands that. But it's the cumulative effect. And I can make you a promise. I can make you a couple of promises. If you go home today and decide among your family, we're doing this, we are going to come to church every stinking Sunday. I should have put stinking in there. Every stinking Sunday. I can promise you a couple things. One, there will be some Sundays you will be absolutely bored to tears. Did I hear amen? There will be some Sundays in which the Sunday school lesson falls flat, the music doesn't do it for you, and then the sermon, you're like, oh my gosh, is it 12 yet? Is it 1230 yet? I promise you there will be that, but then there will be the next Sunday. 
And you gather back here with your sisters and brothers who have decided alongside you to love God with all their heart and love people with all their heart, but they've come here to figure out how to do it. I will tell you, there will be a Sunday in which you are inspired. Lights come on and everything changes. It's the cumulative effect of devoting yourself to the religious practice of keeping Sabbath in the 21st century. Get to church. The final suggestion I have to you, a tip to equip, is not only ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life and come here every Sunday, it's this. Don't wait till Sunday to practice radical sabbaticals. What's a radical sabbatical? If sabbatical, if Sabbath in this sermon here, if Sabbath is about deliberately disengaging from productivity and the things that, that trap your mind and keep you enslaved, if that's what Sabbath is, you can do that every day. The rhythm of life tells you so. Put your hand on your heart right now if you don't mind, would you? Can you just Or your, the pulse or somewhere. Feel your heartbeat. Do you know that right now, for the whole time we've been sitting here, your heart has been doing it. Your heart works, it squeezes. And guess what else it does? It releases. It rests. It squeezes and re rests. It squeezes and releases. The very makeup of your, of your body is telling you you need this. And every day you can find it, whether it's a, a silent prayer in the morning or a God walk at night to reflect upon your day or maybe what you have to do in order to deliberately disengage from the thing that occupies you is maybe you need a fast, a fast from social media where from the hours of whatever to whatever you say, I'm not looking at it. Maybe you need a fast from news media. <laughs> that would do a lot of souls a lot of good, wouldn't it? And whatever the case may be, practice radical sabbaticals every day so that you may be ready to come here on Sunday and learn what it looks like to love God and to love people with all your heart. Now, I'm going to end with this one quote from Rabbi Abraham Heschel. Rabbi Abraham Heschel has a lot to say about Sabbath, and he says, you know, we are taught to keep the Sabbath, and those of us who try to practice Sabbath keeping for a long time understand the mystery of it. Here's the mystery. You don't really keep Sabbath. If you practice it, Sabbath keeps you. Sabbath keeps you. Let's pray. You are the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of our hearts. You are the one to whom we have submitted our life and in this time of commitment and prayer, we, we once again renew our commitment to you that we may be able to deliberately disengage, Lord, from the things that occupy our minds so, so frequently that we barely have time to think about you or what you think about us. Show us how to create the holy space in the soul that we may be able to think about you and think about what you think about us so that we may love you truly and fully. Even now, as you are stirring in the hearts of somebody here on this campus, we pray that you would move in a powerful way that deepens us, transforms us forever and ever. In the name of Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. <laughs>